You want to work with partners and companies that want to be with you that don't look at you as a vendor. So we've had a lot more success lately just really identifying those. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm very happy to be joined today by Tina Hazlitt. Tina has 22 years of experience in recruitment and started her own firm, Spectrum Recruiting Solutions, in 2018. They've since grown to a team of 14 based in Salt Lake City area. Spectrum supports engineering and manufacturing companies in Utah through a combination of direct hire recruitment, RPO, and consulting. Prior to launching her recruitment company, Tina took a one-year sabbatical where she took her whole family traveling across the United States in a Winnebago. Can't wait to hear more about that experience. She's passionate about traveling, hiking, biking, yoga, and living life to the absolute fullest with her family. Tina, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So you were referred to me by Emily Rushton, who's an awesome human being. Um, how do you and Emily, Emily know each other? We used to work together at a previous recruiting firm. I was on the direct hire side and she was hired to build up our volume staffing. Okay, amazing. Well, I'm so glad yeah. that she has uh, introduced us. Me um, too, and she's fabulous. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I always love to hear you know, briefly about how you got started in the business. Oh, sure, because none of us dream about being a recruiter when we grow up, right? Exactly. So I, <laughs> I was living in Baltimore across the country at the time. I was born and raised in Utah, but living in Baltimore and doing the long distance relationship thing. And I was tired of it. So my husband got a big fat ultimatum of, hey, marry me and I'll move back to Utah or don't. I'm going to stay on the East Coast. He decided to take me up on that offer. Um, and I moved back Good to decision. Utah and I needed a job. So I went into a recruiting agency to have them help me find a job. And once I got in there, they hired me at the front desk. So I started as a receptionist and realized quickly I'm not a very good receptionist. And they pulled me off there and put me in a recruiting position. And I just built my career from there. And that was back in 2001. All right. Fantastic. I love it. <laughs> and um, so how did that, you know, 2001 evolve to the point when in 2018 you, you thought, I'm going to start my own firm, Spectrum Recruiting Solutions. Like what sparked that decision that made you want to, you know, build something for yourself? Oh, great question. So the transition for those 17 years, I had exposure in different types of recruiting in terms of temp and temp to hire and perm and direct hire. And then also in different verticals of, you know, admin, accounting, HR. So I really had a good pulse on where do I thrive? What do I want to do? What do I want to create? And so using that, um, I, I helped develop an engineering and manufacturing recruitment team in 2009. And I just fell in love with working with engineers specifically. So I was able to evolve that and learn as much as I could there. And then I realized I, I hit that glass ceiling and I didn't want to go the same direction as my previous company was going. So I had a non-compete and that's when I took the year off and started to create Spectrum along the way. All right, perfect. That all makes total sense. And and so that's an ideal segue to hear about your sabbatical because it just sounds awesome. Like so many people dream of doing something like that, right? Of having a sabbatical and doing something completely different. Um, but I'd say 99% of people never actually take that opportunity. Um, so could you tell me more about that? Yes, it, it was actually an engineer's fault that that happened, and I'm so grateful for it. 
I was trying to recruit somebody and he's like, you know, it's a great job, but I have to tell you, I just sold my house and I'm taking my family to live on the road. And Mark, I couldn't sleep for three days. I was like, why isn't everybody doing that? That's the best idea I've ever heard in my life. I didn't even know we could do that, right? It's almost like he gave me permission. And it took me about six months to get my husband on board. It, that, that part didn't go so easy. But once I did and the planning started, you know, we worked hard and we saved for several years to make sure we didn't have to live on a super tight budget on the road. We wanted, we really wanted to go big. So we bought the Winnebago. We had two teenage girls. Um, that's, you know, it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies, just saying that out loud. Two teenage girls in a motorhome, right? Um, but it was the best year of our life. We just saw life outside of Utah, um, diversity outside of Utah, which there isn't a ton right now uh, where we live. So it was just really healthy for us to have a pulse on exactly where we're from, what we're about, and appreciate what we have a little bit more too. So yeah, we left We left and took that year off and just traveled the perimeter of the United States. What, uh, what year was that? That was in 2017. So June of 2017 to June of 2018. Okay. We rented out our house and then came back and moved back into our house. Amazing. So, but actually what I hadn't appreciated is that this wasn't, you didn't do this on a whim, like you were planning this for a long time. So when did that idea get planted in your brain? So it was planted December of, of 2015. It would have been, it was the end of the year and it took us a couple of years to plan. Got it. Okay. So yeah. you knew this is something you want to do and you were serious about it, obviously. So you made sure that you got you structured your affairs in, in such a way that it became possible. I mean, obviously, saving is makes total sense. That would be an important c- component of that. But what else did you have to do to kind of make it possible? You know, it was the little decisions. And I remember vividly our, our cable um, renewal came up, right, for that following year. And it would have contradicted what we were saving for and planning on. And that was the moment of we're like, okay, we're not renewing cable. We've been with this company for so long. We're not doing it. And started making those one-off decisions that just inched us closer and closer. And then, of course, it was the midnight hour. We got there and we were leaving and people were moving in as we were trying to fill up the motorhome and move out. And it was pure chaos. But it was the little decisions that kept adding up. Yeah, I can see that. Like uh, even your cable, like canceling your cable, of course, you know, you all these things. So did you sell your house or you rented it while you were gone or? No. And that was another reason we, it was meant to be right. Mm -hmm. The day that I listed it up for rent and it was an odd time. It was like mid-June to mid-June. I had a down payment. I had a signed contract. I mean, within hours, because there was a family from another state that wanted to test the waters in Utah. They weren't sure if they wanted to live here permanently. So they had moved back and they just wanted a school year for their kids. It, It just aligned awesome. And so the day we moved back, they were moving out and we were all ready to go again. I love that. My uh, colleague, Julie, likes to talk about fate or fortune and like things just coming together. So so that's yeah. interesting. And like the actual trip itself then, at what ages were your kids? So at the time they were 13 and eight. Okay, wow. They, they turned How did they feel nine. about that? Because like 13 especially is like, you're just your friends start becoming really important and it's hard like making friends and fitting in and all that stuff. And yeah, what was the, how did the rest of the family feel about it? So the actually it went pretty well, better than I expected. But the promise was once we got back, we would let them finish high school 
where where we live. So that was an easy deal to make. Uh, my eighth grade, I was now looking back, I'm glad she missed her eighth grade year. Middle school sucks. <laughs> yeah, no so kidding. The fact that she skipped that was great. And I wish I now I have another one in eighth grade right now, and I wish we could do the same thing. But um, she was a dancer. And so that was the hardest part is she was a competitive dancer and she had to miss that year. But looking back, I think it actually probably did her body good and her her mental stability good just to take a break. She came back and, you know, took a little while to get back to where she was and exceed. But she did great. She still made her dance company and everything that she wanted to. Um, awesome. The eight-year-old didn't skip a beat. I mean, she was she was fine. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I can imagine very adaptable at that age. So um, did you do any work or business on the trip or was it just completely, you know, exploring and and having an adventure? You know, my I would say my work Mm -hmm. that I did on the trip was really making sure I wanted to stay in recruiting. I mean, it's relentless sometimes, right? You get beat Mm -hmm. up quite a bit. and how was I going to be different? How was I going to stand out? So there was a lot of soul searching as to, A, do I really want to do this? How do I set myself apart? What's truly important to me at the core? So there was a lot of self-discovery that way. So that gave me a minute to breathe and figure it out. So in that sense, I got there and then I started planning exactly what I wanted um, and building the team that I wanted in my head and how I wanted that to look. My husband did work part-time on the road. He's a real estate appraiser, and a lot of the banks would have him do qualified or um, quality control checks. So he he worked part-time, which was actually good because then the kids would have school, he would have that, and I would have my own time. Um, so we did work a little bit and have some income coming in that way. And renting out the house helps too. Totally. So it sounds like you'd already decided you were going to launch your own business before this trip. So, and you mentioned it coincided with your non-compete. So it kind of was a really great way to, to spend that time. Um, yeah, that was the intention. Yeah. So you said that there was a lot of planning, you know, self-discovery, thinking about what was most important to you and what you wanted to have in a business. What were those ideas that coalesced and that you've actually moved forward with? So ironically enough, I wanted to create this unique business that everybody could work from home, right? That was my whole big idea. I'm like, we can all just do this from anywhere, anyone a bago in the country, in the world, let's just go travel and live on the road. Well, that was well, quite pan- prophetic. <laughs> <laughs> right? Pandemic hits and now I've got nothing. That was my, my biggest benefit. Um, so that was one thing that I wanted to do, but also just Keeping it small and niche um, was important to me. And in Utah, I don't know how much you know about our our climate here. We really struggle um, in terms of our reputation and women's rights. And um, that's one thing that I really wanted to promote. Where we focus in engineering and manufacturing in Utah, there's not a ton of representation for females out here, especially when it comes to equality politically and you know professionally. So our goal was to really make sure women have a seat at the table, if nothing else, at least to get them interviewing alongside the men, you know, and if may, at the end of the day, may the best person get the job always. And and so that was important for us to at least get them included in interviews. Um, and so far, that's been a, a really big success. We've placed 41% or 41% of our placements are female. Right? Wow, that's amazing. That's yeah. really cool, Tina. I'd love to talk more about that in, in just a minute. So there was the idea of being, first of all, that people could work remotely, which mm-hmm. prior to the pandemic was not the norm, right? right? Then there was the 
focus, like being a niche focused company. Um, thirdly, it was having more representation of women within manufacturing and within leadership roles. Were there any other kind of core tenets that you wanted to your company to, to be all about or? Wage gap was another issue that kind of aligns mm-hmm. with um, getting females in leadership positions, but ultimately just balancing that a little bit more. And we've made huge strides there. But those are the really the two things that we fight for, I guess you could say. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, it's really, really interesting. I One of our clients, actually, her name is Forum Brown, um, and she herself was an engineer and then a leader in engineering before becoming a headhunter within aerospace. Um, and but it's quite it is it's, it's unusual, isn't it, in in that industry? So forty one percent placements is fantastic. That's really cool. Um, Thanks. Let's talk first. I I want to spend a good amount of time talking about that. But first of all, how did you go about building your your team? So out of the gate, you go to the your inner circle, right? And people you trust. Mm-hmm. So um, full disclosure, the first hire was my sister-in-law. And so we just had that open family conversation of, okay, let's keep everything transparent. We're breaking all the rules here now, you know, that type of thing. Um, so she was my first hire. And then I came back and I used to do a lot of volunteer work for American Heart Association. And I was meeting them for another purpose and mentioned that we were looking to expand. I ended up hiring... Uh, the gal I was meeting with and her husband, which I know you're not supposed oh, to hire wow. married couples, but knock on wood, <laughs> it's gone really, really well for us. Um, you know, so it was the people in my inner circle that I knew that I trusted, that I knew had the same work ethic and passion and drive that I did. And we started there and we've just slowly grown. And knock on wood, we've never had anybody leave us. Wow, that is very rare in recruiting because it is know. quite a high churn industry, isn't it? Um, But, you know, it's so true about finding the right people uh, and the mindset, attitude, work ethic, all of those things, and and the values fit. That is more important than experience any day of the week, as far as I'm concerned. But because it's interesting, did your sister-in-law come from recruiting background or... No, and that's a great question. And it was very intentional. Um, the reason the first five, six hires didn't have any recruiting experience. Okay. And the reason for that is I really wanted to create my own culture. I wanted my own mm. thing. I didn't want it like every agency that I had worked with or partnered with in the past. And, you know, there's good, bad, and ugly at every company, right? So I just wanted to make sure that I eliminated internal competition and the ugly, you know, as much as I possibly could. So created our culture first, locked that in. And since I have hired people with recruiting experience. So it's really interesting because we encourage our recruiting firm owner clients to really consider hiring rookies and training them for many of the reasons you just said. Um, However, I will say it is a lot of work. It's, you know, for you because you're trying to drive revenue yourself, right? And you right. have, so you're you're running a desk, which is could be a full-time job, and you're launching a new company, which you have to do marketing, you have to do accounting, you have to do bookkeeping, you have to create a website, you have to do social media. So you've got so much going on already. And then you're onboarding, training, and managing people who have no experience. That is quite overwhelming. How did you pull that off? Um, not gracefully. <laughs> 
by any means. <laughs> okay. Um, and I would love to hear other benefits of, of you encouraging rookie hires as well. Um, but I, that's when I really got into yoga. If I'm being very honest about a couple of years into starting spectrum, I hit a wall and I hit it hard and was so super burned out. And there was about at least a three week period that I struggled getting out of bed. I was so tired. I just didn't, I was just numb, I guess is a better word. So got into mental health and, um, better practices and taking care of myself and actually got certified to teach yoga and meditation and just had to slow down. But I'll be honest, it's kind of work is kind of an addiction for me. Like I recognize I fall back into that same pattern so easy and you start working these 60 hours a week and it becomes normal. And the tease is I love it. I love to work. So it doesn't feel like I'm being punished until I cross that line and burn out again. So it's just a constant practice. Okay. All right. Interesting. So obviously, I'm sorry that you went through that. Could you say a little more about what precipitated this kind of like hitting the wall as you as you described it? And then how did you how did you come to terms with that? And then how did you you gave a very quick summary of like what you did to build yourself back up? But I think this could be really important for people to have some tools or have a, a bit of a roadmap here because I think. You know, the business and in particular um, entrepreneurship does attract people who like you obviously start your business. You're really passionate. You want it to succeed. And so you can easily fall into, you know, workaholism. Right. So could you just talk us through that in a little more detail, like what actually happened and how did you build yourself back up? Yeah, sure. And you know how you have those days that you feel like, wow, if I didn't get out of bed, I would actually be further along in my day. And I felt like that happened consistently for a little while. Like every phone call I had, did I turn that bad? You know, you're, you're trying to navigate this new territory. And I just felt like you get punched in the face, like we had just talked about as recruiters anyway, but there was just, it seemed to be coming from different angles in addition to that overwhelm, right? So you're trying to navigate all of this, but then you have the personal stuff coming in too of, aging parents. Oh, I'm not showing up as a mom. Oh, this, that, and the other. So you're trying to be everything to everyone and you can't is the truth of it. Somewhere, something's got to sacrifice. So it took, you know, that downtime for me of just figuring out, okay, reset your priorities, get it straight, family first, no matter what. And it's interesting how things align from there. Like once you just remind yourself of this is what's most important and why you're not getting this time back is, you know, you want to be on your deathbed looking back and be like, I'm so glad I made that 45th placement or I made it to my girls softball games. Right. So totally realigning my priorities was a a huge deal for me. Um, Mm. I'm blessed that I have the best support system at home that I could ever ask for. So there was a lot of conversation and dialogue and what does this look like moving forward? That helped a lot. And then you, I think as an entrepreneur, you just get that fire back and you're like, oh, bullshit, this is going to, oh, sorry for cussing. This is going <laughs> to That's happen. all right on this. <laughs> <laughs> like, let, let's just do this thing. Let's do it for real. And I would even say up until that point, starting Spectrum wasn't a hobby, but it wasn't something that I went into thinking, I want to grow this thing. I want to be a real company. So now that's an internal joke of, you know, hashtag real company now. Like we have good problems. They're bigger problems. They're real problems, but they're growing problems. Um, So that was kind of our turning point and pivoting moment as a company of we're going to add people, we're going to do this. So how did you, 
you know, because obviously you've got your team, you've got your clients, you've got all those demands. How did you create the space for yourself to take the time you needed to, as you say, realign priorities and then um, get that, you know, passion back to want to get, you know, to grow things again? I literally put it on my calendar. Like you are done at six o'clock and I spent, I blocked out time for each of my kids every single week. And my husband, every single week, as lame as that sounds, I literally calendared it. That is a great strategy, actually. Yeah, that makes total sense. (laughs) I'm such a checklist person. So so I see my list for the day and not that they're a task by any means, but it's already in your head of like, that's happening today. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I am not the best at staying in touch with my guy friends. And especially because we live in like different places. And so it's not like we can hang out physically. So with a couple of my friends, I've actually just got recurring Zoom appointments, which sounds kind of lame, but that's how we stay connected, basically. Oh, I love that. What do you do? Bring yeah. food and drink and just connect for a couple hours? Yeah, exactly. Just yeah. just hang out and catch up. Um, but it, if it is, if it wasn't in the calendar, then it would just get oh, I'll call him tomorrow or you know that kind of thing, and it would just slip. Um, how yeah. long did it? How long was this process of like meditation, yoga, and you know getting your balance back? How long did it take before you were firing on all cylinders again? After the decision was made, it was still a few months. Um, yeah you go through the, you know, yoga certifications and breath work and you take that really slow and then finding that balance, you know, as you're learning um, your mental health and what your limits are and what your capabilities are while still wanting this wheel to turn and churn and grow. Um, I would say within six months, we were, I was full steam ahead. Got it. But in the, initially when you first realized that you like, you'd hit the wall. Did you take time off or like, did you just scale back your hours? How did you figure that out? You know, I just, we were a small team at that point and I was just very transparent of, hey, I am really struggling. Here's what's going on. We, I've already known these people for a long time. So it was a very, I won't say mm. easy conversation because the subject matter is super challenging, right? Mm. But they understood. So there was a lot of support. And I think they knew before I did that I would pull through it. Like sometimes you can't, see it when it's that close to you and it hurts so bad and it's so hard but they they knew they they really held down the fort our volume wasn't insanely high our processes weren't super complicated um so it worked they kept us afloat if you're a recruitment business owner you might be feeling the pressure to invest in new technology but how do you invest in technology that is proven to win higher paying clients Otherwise, overall, you're just making a financial loss. Our trusted partner, iIntro, has a solution for this. They provide recruiters with an online delivery platform for the candidate shortlist. So instead of sending over CVs or resumes, you can send your clients an online profile that includes video, key competency questionnaires, and behavioral assessments. It looks more professional than a CV or a PDF, Plus, it helps the client make a more informed decision about who to call to interview. But that's not all. iIntro also provides recruitment business owners with coaching for their team, not just to help them use the software, but to help them use it to win more retained business. Their comprehensive training program is specifically designed to help recruiters at all levels of experience develop their retained recruitment service. 
In fact, many of the hundreds of recruitment businesses they've worked with win a brand new retained client after only a few weeks of getting started. To see iIntro in action, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to book a free demonstration. There's no obligation, plus you'll also be helping to support this podcast. That's recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Amazing. Yeah. So um, you had your initial core team of people who you already knew and you trusted and they were uh, had the right mindset and work ethic and everything. How did you how did you grow from there? So this is a little bit unique too. Several people on my team are people I used to recruit for. So they are a couple of HR managers now work with us. Um, one out of aerospace, one out of medical device that I used to staff for. So that helped. Um, and then referrals from internal employees. You always know who you like to work with, and it's a that proven experience. So people that I've worked with in the past are now with me, and that that's how we've grown. And we hired our first one um, without even knowing, or th- this last hire was the first time we went that direction. Wow. So your first, what, 12 or 13 people were either known to you or they're known to a team member. Yeah. And 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 it's only recently, so you've tapped that kind of network and now you're going outside to find more talent. Exactly, um, yeah. So it's interesting. How have you found hiring clients? Because I guess it makes sense because they understand, like let's say someone from an HR background obviously has an exposure to recruiting and they understand the industry that you work within, i.e. say aerospace or you know manufacturing or what have you. But HR is very different from recruiting, right? And like not everybody would A, want to or B, be capable of making that leap. So how did you know that they were going to be right? That's a great question. So both of them I'd worked with for a very, very long time. And as part Mm -hmm. of their HR responsibilities, they had to handle talent acquisition, Mm -hmm. which was good for us because we didn't always understand the... Uh, corporate side of it, right? Like we're we're agency. Mm-hmm. So it, there was a lot of conversations surrounding it because what the real unique part was was the business development piece. So yes. knowing that they didn't necessarily have that boots on the ground and go out and bring in the clients, I had that and I already had relationships. So they handled in the beginning a lot of that candidate side and then evolved into mm-hmm. some business development. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I should probably ask, like, how is the team structured as far as, like, does everyone run a 360 desk or do you have some people who do BD and and other people who do the talent and the recruiting side or what does that look like? So this time last year, everyone did a full desk is where we were at after four years. We just switched to a whole new structure for us and it's teams and verticals. So for example, at the end of uh, last year, I called every single client. I just said, hey, how can we improve? Where did we fall short? What can we do? And some consistent feedback that we got is, you guys are great at your small niche. And it is a small niche. But we need to go with two or three other agencies to get our accounting professionals or administrative professionals or warehouse. So we evolved a little bit. We're staying in engineering and manufacturing niche, but we created a couple more teams that would support their entry-level uh, entry level hourly positions and then like mm-hmm. business professional roles. So they could use us as one point of contact for any direct hire positions. 
that's worked out really, really well. And so we're evolving each team as the workload's increasing just to have more isolated positions, you know, sourcing, candidate recruiting, and then um, client management. So we're still young in this world, um, but it's not, it's going well. So far, so good. Ask me in another year, but right (laughs) now, the camaraderie and the energy of the teams, even internally, because we work remote, has been healthy for everybody. I love it. Okay, that makes sense. So Tina, tell me about that evolution over the last year then and what prompted that and how it's working out so far. Really having individual conversations with people, you know, what part of the job do you love? Where are you thriving? What do you want to be doing? And so finding out where people's strengths are in their happy place and not spreading them too thin, it really forced us to do that. And so that way, I know there's one candidate recruiter that just thrives at at the candidate side of things and the connection with people, but the fear of business development is just overwhelming to her. So uh, removing her from that and putting in a business development person worked like a charm, but without those initial conversations of what are you enjoying, what are you not, you know, you can't fix everything, but there was some big things that we could change. That's what started us down this path. Interesting. Okay, fantastic. And... uh... How long has it been and, and what's the what, what are the results showing you? So we officially kicked it off January 1st of this okay. year. We did a test pilot uh, Q4 of last year mm-hmm. and that went well. So we added the other verticals and teams. And I would say it's going really, really well and we're still building on this. We're going to keep going down this path for a few years. Amazing. Okay, fantastic. So um, Talk to me about gender balance and diversity within engineering manufacturing in Utah. And how have you, uh, you said that was a real area you always wanted to focus on. Uh, How have you gone about that? So we've had to be very intentional about creating channel partnerships and pipelines of candidates. Um, Obviously, you get in with the tech schools and the universities that are nearby and the, um, the groups that are that attract the same talent that we're looking for. But what we've found is our more of our intimate channel partnerships of people wanting to help other women out and p- pull each other up, if you will. That's been the most beneficial um, relationships for us this way is everybody knows somebody, not <laughs> despite our belief, not everybody is on social media, right? And they're not part of these groups. So just having people that are advocates for you out in the field and referring their friends and that it, it's, crucial. We're also very proactive when we do get a great referral, even if we don't have the position, introducing them, trying to find them a home. There's certain companies that are very receptive to it and certain Mm -hmm. companies that are trying to be, and then some that just aren't. You start to learn those companies and and walk through those hurdles with them. And one by one, it's very grassroots um, effort right now. So how did you develop Now, you're calling them channel partners. Um, I might call them referral partners. I don't know if we're talking about the same thing. When you say channel partners, what do you mean? And then how have you developed those relationships? Sure. So, for example, um, a channel partner of mine is a a leader of a female mechanical engineering social group, if you will. Mm. So there's no money exchanged that way, but it's, you know, I support her events, she supports our events, and it goes back and forth that way. She knows a lot of people and has the same passion that I do. So a lot of the candidate referrals will come from her that we can place in our positions. That makes sense. And I can see you aligning with a group that has a similar mission to you and where you're, you know, you have 
shared values. You don't compete with each other. You can support each other. Um, like, how do you find and look out for those groups that, you know, could become mutually beneficial, uh, you know, referral partners like that? That's a great question. Um, I love networking. I love people. I talk to people all day long. And that's the biggest thing is you just ask, who else do you know? Who would benefit from them? Where do I go? I'm not afraid to just sound like a complete idiot and have people educate me as to groups I don't even know about or I should know about. So there's a lot of conversations taking place and there's time actually set aside and dedicated to that growth specifically of, okay, let's keep increasing our channel partnerships and where are we going? How far outside of Utah can we go to still attract talent? Because that's, Mm. you know, we have a stigma right now uh, politically with getting people to Utah. So that's one thing that we're working to overcome. So, okay, that's interesting is absolutely like your clients and especially your candidates are often the best source of information, right? So just asking them like, hey, uh, what professional or, you know, women's groups do you belong to? And, you know, what do you part? And if you just ask enough people, you're going to hear some really great information that maybe you weren't aware of. Um, But when you say it's like, obviously, it's very intentional and you dedicate time to it. How do you measure your progress uh, in this? Like you mentioned the stat of, was it 41% or something? Um, yeah, 41% of our placements are are females right now in positions. Yes. So the way that we're measuring it is how many channel partnerships, and then we're tracking specifically this year, how like where exactly are they coming from, which channel yeah. partnerships, and how does that look? And it seems to be the ones that are more private or more beneficial, meaning the ones that you need that personal invitation to get into. Not, right. not anybody can sign up and just be a member of an association. If you can have that yes. personal invitation and seat at the table right on the boards, that's that's the direction that we're going with it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Have you considered creating your own community or group for, you know, let's say um, female leaders in, you know, engineering or some, I don't know if that's too niche, but, you know, something where you could start building up your own, you know, network in addition to supporting these other groups? You know, I would say we probably have that a little bit, but on an informal Mm -hmm. level. because we do have such a tight networking group of friends and it's a small world here in Salt Lake. But no, I haven't thought of creating something formal. So thank you for the idea. Um, bandwidth would definitely be an issue today, but could definitely streamline some things in the future. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to help me put that together? Yeah, no problem. Let's, uh, let's <laughs> talk. Um, so awesome. I love it. And so this is something more I wanted to ask you about is, Looking at the market, how receptive have clients been to, like, is this something they're asking for or is this something you're recommending or has it been kind of a mutual thing where clients have the, there is a demand and you have the um, the knowledge of how to create more diversity within their companies? That's a great question. It's coming from both angles. There's some companies that are all over it and honestly driving a lot of it too. But then there's some that don't want anything to do with it. And it's more fear-based and the Mm -hmm. unknown, right? So it's educating Mm -hmm. them as to how a diverse team can benefit them. And then oftentimes, if you can turn it back to the almighty dollar, 
funny, they're on board now, but they can start to really see the deeper benefits of it. One issue that is probably bigger than even getting diversity through the door is hanging on to them, right? Like you don't want to just hire a diverse candidate and not um, think about the um, inclusion and belonging that has to follow it to keep them. So there's a lot of transparency that needs to go on between all parties, especially if it's a new initiative that they're trying to build a diverse team. Those first couple of hires are going to hit some roadblocks that they don't even know about yet. So it letting them know, hey, this is the direction the company is going and the intention and the expectation of you has been has been a healthy conversation and definitely a retention tool. But it's it's both. Some industries, I think medical device one in particular is very advanced and progressive thinking. Um, sometimes in aerospace, we struggle a little bit. Interesting. Um, so Tina, you've been in business now for five years and you've been through COVID, you've been through the real surge in hiring in 2021 and 2022. A lot of uh, firms are finding it's a really weird market this year in 2023. What, how are you guys finding the market and how are you navigating your way through that? Weird is such a perfect word for it. It's, it's not as predictable as it used to be, and we are becoming more and more fluid. So whereas before we could say, hey, this is how we work, we're happy to help you, it's going to be a great match, or it's not. The conversations have definitely evolved into, um, and this is healthy, right? Like learning more about your client, what's the situation, what's the budget restrictions? Oh, you could only afford what we would consider like a half a fee. Well, let's figure out how we can still make this work and get creative and find solutions and um, we've done some creative things, for, at least out of our norm, going like a billable hours rate. So for a lot of small businesses that can't necessarily afford a 25% or a 30% referral fee or finder's fee, we'll break down a budget and create a plan for them and then transition out once those hours are over to set them up for success. So just really listening to the clients and evolving and and getting super creative that it, it'll work for both of us. You know, you want you want to work with partners and companies that want to be with you that don't look at you as a vendor. So we've had a lot more success lately just really identifying those. Could you say more about that? Because I think that is so important. And I appreciate, you know, your idea around finding creative solutions to clients' hiring challenges and um, figuring out how we can make it work. Um, but when you say finding, you know, people who don't see you as a vendor, but see you as a partner, I totally believe in that. In fact, like it's one of our kind of most important principles that we want to help our clients to work with their ideal clients who treat them as a trusted advisor, who, where it's a true partnership. It's not like, you know, client vendor and, uh, where, they are respected. They are, you know, clients actually listen to their advice, and um, it's not—it's collaborative rather than adversarial. How do you identify those companies that are going to be good partners for you? Really quickly, right out of the gate, you can tell if they're looking at you as, you know, that strategic partner. They're asking you your thoughts, opinions, ideas. You know, what do you see in this situation? Um, that that helps a lot. And then you also have the ones that are opposite of, right? Hey, I have loyalties to two or three others. If you bring me the resume first, you get the fee. And that just feels so gross and dirty and a game that I don't want any part of. And so you try to talk to them and educate them. And sometimes they'll come around and sometimes they won't. But I think there's definitely a small portion of 
um, hiring managers that believe, hey, if I pit these two against each other, I'm going to get the best results, which you've got to try both directions. And maybe that was their experience. I don't know. But that I don't want that to be my experience. It just... I get out of bed every morning knowing I'm making a, a difference and a positive difference with people. And if I'm just simply a race to throw a resume um, person, it doesn't feel good. And uh, your relationships and respect aren't there from the candidates either. 100%. I uh, couldn't agree more. And so, but what this points to though, Tina, is it sounds like you're really good at business development because in order to have walkaway power where you can say, okay, this is the sort of organization we want to partner with and, you know, it's going to be a mutually beneficial relationship and uh, we're going to leave this one because we don't, you know, they wanted to pit us against other agencies. We don't work that way. You need to have a good enough sales pipeline to be able to do that. So um, what's been your most effective business development strategy? Yeah, and it's setting us apart as, being unique, right? So when they're mm. they're trying to figure out who do we want to partner with, it's not apples to apples and who do I like better. It's, okay, they need to know ultimately what their goal is. And if their goal is that executive level, that diverse team, that next level um, roundtable, then they're going to go with us. If they just need warm bodies and average people, we're not their best match. And I'll be the first to tell them. And I have close relationships like Emily that we partner a lot because she specializes in a completely different world than I do. So I, I have a referral system too that I'm going to take care of you either way, but let's make sure we're the best fit if we're going to move forward, right? Yeah, no, that that makes total sense. Um, but uh, in terms of, you know, client acquisition, what, um, how have you developed your client base? Um, through a lot of our networking events is our number one way to do it, where we can get in front of people. For example, we just did a hosted a roundtable with the Utah Outdoor Association that does a lot of um, product development for outdoors, like kayaks, canoes, tables, that type of thing. So if we can get in and present, be the experts, be that resource, then we have people coming to us with questions that evolve into those strategic conversations. And that's that's been the most successful for us is getting that FaceTime we're not cold callers. Um, I, I suck really bad at cold calling, actually. I freeze up. And I hate getting them. So that's part of it, too. But FaceTime through our associations, I would say, has been our key to success. Okay, this is really interesting. Could you elaborate on how how that works? Like, is it industry associations? Or is it like, what sorts of groups would you connect with and get involved with? So our some of my favorite, we, we're members of a few, but I would spotlight probably Utah Manufacturers Association mm-hmm. that just obviously um, aligns really well with who we're working with. And then there's one called UAMI, that's Utah Advanced Materials and Manufacturing Initiative. So there's a few different programs like that that we're recognized as being their recruiting experts. And so we get invited to a lot of their events to um, speak and engage with some of their clients and help them through some of their challenges. So it gives us that um, reputation from a source that is already trusted by other companies. I love this. This is brilliant, Tina. What types of topics would you speak on at an event like that? So our last one was recruiting and retention. And so we're talking about, okay, especially here, writing the job descriptions, you know, you have to phrase them differently depending on the type of candidates that you're trying to attract. Where are you posting these? How are you getting them in the door? 
And then that's just the, that's the easy part, right? And then the hiring manager has to really be authentic and communicate who they are and what they are first as a person, in addition to what they're hiring for and what the company represents to keep these people. You don't want to surprise them. Like I always think about a candidate and what are they, what do they wish they would have known after 30 days of being at that company? Let's get it out on the table now and just try to retain these folks. And then obviously there's additional strategies for retention, but that's really most of what we're talking about is how and where do you find the right people for your hiring manager, for your company and your culture. Genius. I love it because, and like a lot of recruiters attend networking events, right? But just being in a room and passing out business cards is not the same as being the speaker or the expert and being having that authority and, and being recognized as an expert. And it's a totally different thing because then, you know, immediately you have the credibility and also then at the, you know, social bit afterwards, it's so easy to talk to people because people have questions. They want to learn more. They come up to you instead of you going up to them. Um, so I think this is wonderful. How have you developed that as a kind of, you know, uh, business practice, Tina? So one thing we'll end with in our events is just say, hey, I'm, I'm happy to jump on a free 15-minute consultation with you. Let's talk about the issues that you're having. Let's talk about where you're at and where you're going. You know, and oftentimes the people in the room turn into candidates too, which I'm sure you yeah. see a lot of like, hey, you think you're jumping on this phone with a client and then they they flip it on you. Like, oh, actually, I'm looking for a work. But that's okay, actually, because that's actually going to build the loyalty a little bit more. They're reaching out to you and being very vulnerable and personal. That's how you form the relationship. So, all right, it takes a different angle today, but it helps in the future because then they become our hiring managers too. So it's just recognizing that everybody is human, right? We all want a really great job where we can thrive. We all want really great teams that we enjoy being with every day. So if we can just take you know some of the emotion out of it for them and keep be, being a sounding board and offering perspective, um, that's where the strong relationships are coming from. So... Tina, I love this strategy and I can totally understand why it's effective. I think a lot of people are, well, a lot of people are intimidated uh, or like outright terrified of public speaking. How did you get into that? I hate it. Let's just be clear. <laughs> okay. I hate it. <laughs> and it's just, I'm getting better and better at it. Um, for a long time, even like this would have absolutely freaked me out. But you start to be more confident the more you do it. Um, and I think recognizing that what we actually offer and bring to the table, people want to hear. They want to learn. I'm not, I'm no longer feeling like a salesperson. I've, I feel like that expert. And that took several year, years to transition into. So that helps a lot too. But I'll be honest, that I don't like public speaking, but I know it's a necessary evil. Um, but I'm really trying to develop my team and especially my leadership team into getting in front of people. And so I'm not the only face of the company. I want this to be much more than just me. So that's helping a lot too. I'm so glad. Thank you for being so um, <laughs> transparent about that. I think that will be reassuring to people. So you just, you're the same as everyone else. You're So that's good to know. Um you're not a, uh, you know, uh, super, super woman who's, you know, you know, doesn't, doesn't get afraid of these things. Um, you mentioned that you're developing your senior leadership team so that you're not the only face of the company. 
I think that's so important because very often it is the founder who is the primary business development engine. And, but then that bottlenecks your growth. So how are you developing your colleagues so that they also can bring in business and develop, you know, their own profile and, uh, and so on? Great question. We're doing a couple different things. So one big move we made this summer is have a designated business development person Mm -hmm. to go out there and find these opportunities. And she's an extrovert and is best friends with everyone she meets. So it, it fuels her and the energy there has been really great. In addition to the teams that I was talking about forming, our recruiting managers have certain expectations in growing their verticals. So they're they're required, I don't care if it's just building existing clients or bringing in new clients, but they have some business development KPIs that they need to um, adhere to as well. So what we did to support that is assign our associations. I mentioned that we're members of a few of them. And somebody just really focuses on that one association, forming that bond and relationship. And we're working to get them the face of their organi- their association. So just isolating it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That sounds brilliant. You sound so like organized as far as turning your strategy into a plan and then executing on that plan. Um, could you, Thank you. like, how, how do you organize that? Because... That in itself, in terms of building companies, that is a real skill. And, um, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are great on the ideas, but then translating that to their teams and getting everyone to work together towards that uh, objective, that's a real talent. How do you do that? You know, that's the sickness in my head. Like, I love this stuff. I love business. I love the strategy. It fuels me. I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And so does my team. So when we when it gets to the leadership team I was just mentioning, we have people that are very, very good at that analytical side that are very good at the laws and regulations. And it just as a team, we're very powerful in terms of covering every category but I'm definitely not doing this solo in any way, shape or form. We have some powerhouses behind me. Um, But it's definitely something I lose sleep over at night in a good way. There's so many ideas that I actually need to filter it and slow it down or I'm going to run us into the ground. So, and I recognize that as well. So it's, it's sharing the ideas, isolating the ones that are important and then moving together, moving forward together. Yeah. I can relate to that. That's cool. Um, so what's the vision for the next year and, and beyond? So filling all of our verticals and all of our teams, getting those into a well-oiled you know, machine and their processes locked down. I think we're going to build out our billable hours um, and keep that revenue line going strong. Those are our two main initiatives right now. Subject to change, but that's where the momentum's at. Yeah, I love that. So the um, building out your verticals and your and your teams, like how many more people would would you need to uh, to get where you want to be? Three. We need three more people. Three more people. Okay. Yeah, and cool. we build slow. Um, we wait until we're just overwhelmed enough with the work, and then bring people on. Um, I know there's different perspectives on that process, but I want to make sure we have the business to you know to pay them. They don't want to volunteer. <laughs> but actually, that's a really good question. If I can just uh, pick your brains on that, um, knowing when to 
higher? I think that's always a question. So like, what's your formula? You said you want to be just slightly overwhelmed so that you know you have to work for people. But what, you know, could you elaborate on that? Yeah, and every vertical is a little bit different depending on the type of roles they're sourcing. So their their numbers of placements is a little bit different too. Um, I would say, you know how you reach that level of, oh, I'm feeling overwhelmed. We have a lot of work on our plate. We could actually cut a few of our low-performing clients or not our best clients. When we start to get to that point of we have to make a decision to cut clients or add, that's how I know it's it's time to get them some support and help. And we can do both, right? You can always cut bad clients. That's a whole different conversation. Um, but once we have enough work to sustain them and the forecast justifies bringing on another person, mm-hmm. we'll do it then. Okay. And what does the forecast have to tell you in order to know this is the point? You know, is it like, what, what are the um, criteria? Um, stable revenue dollars for at least three mm-hmm. to six months, depending on the role we're hiring for. Got it. Okay. Really interesting. Um, I'm sure there was something else I wanted to ask you, Tina. You mentioned- We can do it again. Yeah. Like that's, let's make this a recurring, uh, a, a recurring appointment. Um, Deal. Yeah. So oh, I'm so excited by what you're doing and you just seem so full of energy for, you know, business and, and your, your life that you've created, Tina. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. And thanks for those nice words. I'm honored to be on this, this show. I've heard your name for so many years. It's cool to be part of it. Oh, bless you. Thanks, Tita. Well, look, let's definitely catch up again soon. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.